I'm Jim Ryan, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. We are meeting on Wednesday afternoon at about 2.30, and we start 2.33, and we meet on Saturday the same way, 2.30, 3 o'clock. And we're teaching to basically an empty auditorium. we got a few people here, one, two, three, four, five, plus Mike running the board and two camera people here. And usually, sometimes there's not anybody here but the camera and mic. And uh, I've, I've always read our emails before the class. I want to answer one email that a guy wrote, and it's funny to me. It's, it's funny because he's ignorant when it comes to animals. Any pastor who takes his dog to get his nails clipped is a fake in my view. <laughs> yeah, is that funny? Anybody has a dog? If you don't, you're ignorant. The dog's claws will grow, especially we got two little Shih Tzus, and they're little bitty dogs, and they run through the house, and their nails grow out, and then if they grow in grown nail, then they start stumbling, and they start whining, and they're hurting. Let me tell you what the Bible says. I think this was Michael Corn. Mike, you need to learn something about animals. Wedded, he says, wedded to false loves of this world. You better love your animals. That's the command of God. If you don't love animals, the Jews said, you are a cruel person and you are unrighteous. Let me tell you what Proverbs says. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Beast means animal. Your cattle, you have to care about them. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. The best you can get out of a cruel man is just anger and rage. Let me read something to you. This is a book, and I love this book. This is a Jewish book, Jewish Ethical Concepts, Biblical and Post-Biblical. Excellent book. This is a chapter on consideration for animals. When, when Jonah got angry at God, I'm going to cover this and then we'll get back into the regular message. When Jonah got angry at God because he preached to Nineveh and God wouldn't kill him, wouldn't kill everybody in Nineveh, God answered Job this way, not Job, Jonah. God answered Jonah this way, Should I have pity on Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons, and also much cattle that haven't done any wrong? Then he goes into God's promise to provide food for all creatures. In Genesis one thirty, inspired the psalmist's depiction of beasts looking to heaven for their subsistence. And then, kindness to animals considered the ultimate test of a noble character in the Bible. Rebecca's fitness to be the wife of Isaac, when Abraham sent, when he sent Eliezer, the chief servant in his household, he sent him from, from over here in Judah all the way to the land of Haran, about 650 miles away. 
And he said, when you get over there into the land of Haran to such and such a town, the first woman that comes out to water the camels, that's her. God stuck that in there to show the tenderness of this woman's heart to take care of the camels. If you're cruel to animals, I had a father that would kick dogs and hurt animals. I've even got a story about that that just it just breaks my heart. I had a dog named Mickey went back in 1946-47. And in Texas, there would be ice storms. And an ice storm was coming. My father would not allow a dog inside his house. And he'd kick him if he got close to him. He was very cruel. And he left Mickey out one freezing night and she froze solid on the driveway. And I just, heartbreaking. We all cried, the kids cried, we were crying, and he just didn't care. He was cruel. Rebecca's Rebecca's fitness to be the wife of Isaac was proven by her offer to fetch water for Abraham's emissary Eliezer and for his thirsty camels in Genesis 24 and 20. The Bible has much to say about animals. Biblical consideration for animals was the basis for the following laws. A passerby who comes across a fallen beast of burden, which is unable to rise due to his heavy load, must stop to help unload the burden and help the beast out. If he falls into a ditch, you have to help him out. Even if it's on the Sabbath, God said. That's in Exodus 23.5. Animals must be permitted to forage for food in fields, farms, which lie fallow in the sabbatical year. Exodus 23.11. And also in Leviticus, the 25th chapter, where the sabbatical year is planned, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And every seventh year, they had to let the land alone, and only the poor and animals could go out and eat from the field. God says, I'm making provision for my animals. Beasts of burden like human beings must be permitted to rest on the Sabbath day. Exodus 23:12. A mother animal and its young may be slaughtered, may not be slaughtered on the same day so that the mother will see the baby being slaughtered. That's cruel. The purpose of this injunction is to instill in our character the quality of mercy to remove themselves from cruelty, to permit an animal to witness the killing of its young is an act of gross cruelty. You think animals don't know who their young is? Haven't you seen some wandering cub of a lion go off and wander away on these specials on TV and that mother lion goes looking? She is heartbroken if she loses that baby. It is forbidden to remove a mother bird simultaneously with its fledglings or eggs from a nest. You couldn't remove them at the same time. The mother bird must be sent away to spare it the sight of taking its young. Deuteronomy 22 and 6. Animal meat processed for food may be eaten only when the animal was slaughtered in accordance with the law of ritual slaughtering known as the Shakita. 
S-H-E-C-H-I-T-A-H. S-H-E-C-H-I. Shakita. The Shakita was a real sharp knife. Let me read the rest of this. Proper Shakita requires the cutting of the windpipe and the gullet. The knife must be honed sharp and be free of any notches and indentations to prevent ripping of the throat, and that would be torture to the animal. They had to cut the throat when they offered a lamb on the altar, and it had to not hurt the sheep. You say cutting the throat will hurt, not if it's sharp enough. The animal's different species may not be harnessed together to form a team for the performance of labor. Deuteronomy 22.10. Don't put a donkey with an ox. It's the, Both of them have a different gait or a different walk, and it is nothing but painful to the other. The teaming up of animals of different species which do not normally mingle or possess of disparate traits is an unnatural act distressful to them. An animal which works in an operation, the Bible says this over and over. An animal which works in the operation that exposes it to food which is eaten by animals must, must not be muzzled. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's cruel. If the ox is on this and he's going around in a circle treading out the corn and you got corn all over the ground, he's allowed to eat that. And the Bible speaks of that in relationship to the preacher receiving the tithe there in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. In such circumstances, the prevention of the animal from eating is an act of cruelty. It is forbidden to buy animals or fowls unless preparation of food for their sustenance has been made in advance. You could not, if you don't want to, I figured out owning a dog for 10 to 12 years is going to cost you five to $6,000 at a minimum. We've owned a bunch of them. My wife is the best at keeping animals I have ever seen. She takes them to the vet to have their nails clipped. She's afraid if she clips them, she'll get into the quick, they'll bleed, and that hurts them. So, Mr. Corn, you're a very ignorant man. You don't even know what the Bible says about that. I, it makes me so sad to see that advertising about those animals come on there and those dogs are in a pen and they can't get out and they're just looking at you real sad. I just, that tears me up. I love I love my dogs. Had one named Cowboy. I was born in Dallas, so I was a Cowboy fan from years ago. I'm not so much now. I had one named Cowboy. I have two of them named Cowboy. And I've had one named I've had a, that was a Pembroke Welsh Corgi, and then I had a Pembroke Welsh Corby, the girl named Cricket, and Cowboy would come and lay down on my feet wherever I was. He loved me, and I loved him. And when I had to put him down, boy, it just tore me up. If you don't like animals, there's something wrong with you. 
that's not even a Christian trait to be cruel to animals. I mean, Rusty's raised a bunch of dogs, and you cannot be cruel to them. That's very wicked in the eyes of God. Now, that's enough said about that. All right. That's kind of a pre-message to somebody that, and I think more than one person needs that. All right. Let me erase this up here. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. He needs food too. Don't let him stand there and salivate at the mouth. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, you mistreat animals. All right, I'm talking about... I don't even know how to title this. Predestination... Predestination is about everything that God is doing in your life. And your life is connected with everything else that's going on in the world. Everything in your life that is causing you to be like Christ. And when you find this out, when you come, I preached predestination for years for this really sunk into my heart. You can say, I've already got that down. Do you really? Do you really have it down? If everything that's happening is the will of God, everything, The Bible says we've obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now all things doesn't mean all good things. It means everything. Everything that goes on in the world is God's will. I am such a believer in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty. The word sovereign means over all. That means God is sovereign. He's over everything. He has power over everything. All power. He said all power was given to me in heaven and earth. All power. That means Satan has no power except what God wants him to do. When Satan came before God in the first chapter of Job, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job, how he escheweth evil, he pushes evil away, how he's the richest man of the East? And Satan was a charismatic, because he said what charismatics say. He said, Well, ain't no wonder he serves you. You've surrounded him by all this wealth and riches. God said, that's not why he serves me. He serves me because he loves me. Satan said, I'll tell you what you do. You give him over to me, and I'll call him to curse you. God says, all right, he's in your hands, but here's the conditions. You listening to me? Satan said, yes, sir. He says, you can't touch his body. And you can't touch his life. You got that, mister? He said, yes, sir. 
Satan is just like a corporal standing before the sergeant having to say, yes, sir, I'll do that. So the Bible says, it starts off and says, the fire of God fell from heaven. It doesn't even say the fire of Satan. It says the fire of God. And then it says the Sabians came in and fell upon his camels and fell upon all his livestock and stole them away. And it says this messenger come to to Job and told him all of this. And while the messengers were yet speaking, he said, and all the rest of your cattle are been taken away. And while he was yet talking, another man came in and said, your children, your seven sons and three daughters were eaten in the house of the eldest son. And a wind came and blew the house down and killed all of them. Job doesn't know quite what to think. But he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away. He didn't give Satan one ounce of credit for this. He said it was the Lord hath taken away. Took away my children. What's amazing, it was a great wind that blew the house down. And when you look at Job 37 and 38, the Bible says all the winds belong to God. The great winds, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, they belong to God. Whatever it was, even the, the soft south winds belong to God. Well, this had to be a tornado or a hurricane that blew the house down. So that was God's wind that blew the house down and killed his children. And Job said it was God that did this. What was Satan's part in this? Let me tell you what his part was. God has got a big cauldron. It's called the world. And God cannot touch evil or be touched with evil, but he's got a stirring stick that can. And that stirring stick is called Satan. And Satan has got, God has got his hand on Satan and say, this is the evil you can do. And then Satan, Job said, the Lord took away. And now I've heard Benny Hinn say, well, Job was out of his mind that day. Job wasn't out of his mind. The very last verse of the first chapter of Job says, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged, charged God foolishly. That was the Bible speaking. The Bible says Job tells the truth when he talks about me. I killed his sons and daughters. Satan was my servant in that, and that's all. And in your life and in my life, when we go through tough times, that's God. God's got a family that he's predestined to be conformed, to be conformed. 
And what I'm getting at, I really hope everybody can get a hold of this because, boy, this is a hard thing in our lives to get a hold of. Everything that happens to us as believers is the sovereign will of the living God. I don't care what it is. If it's a ticket, you get a ticket, that's the will of God. Just a ticket is going to stop you for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and every step the rest of your life will be different simply because you were stopped for 15 minutes. Instead of going home and and going into the driveway, you may say, I got to stop at the store. Your thoughts are different. You may go to the store instead of going home. When you went home, if you went on your journey and went home, you'd have gone into the house, you might have gone to the bathroom, or you might have gone to the kitchen. But instead, you end up going to the grocery store and getting some bread. Every step of our life is changed depending on everything we go through. Everything. I know it's difficult for Vic because he doesn't have a place to live. And I'm always wanting, he's trying to get his social security so he can have a place to live. And I'm doing everything I can. I want to help him. And everything that he's gone through has brought him to this point. Everything. Everything you've gone through. That heart attack you've had. The heart attack I had. That's the will of God. That fact, those things made me wake up to the truth. So we've been predestined to be conformed sumorphos. Sumorphos means to be shaped, morphe, in fellowship. When we fellowship with true believers, that's what's going to conform us to the icon, to the likeness of Jesus. So everything that you go through, boy, this is really hard. You're supposed to be thankful for it. If you have a car wreck, you're supposed to be thankful for it. That changes every step and direction of your life from then on that it would have been if you didn't have the wreck. If you have the wreck and you're going down the road five years later and something happens to your life and you say, this is the will of God, not without that car wreck, it's not. You've got to have had that car wreck to put you on the path that you were on. You say, I don't understand that. You don't have to understand it. That's what the Bible says. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. There in Acts, the 15th chapter. You've heard me quote this so many times. Ecclesiastes 3.14, one of my favorite verses in, about the sovereignty of God. God being over everything. I know that whatsoever God doeth. What does he do? All things. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Well, that word forever is a word that we're not going to like in our language. Forever. That word forever is the word olam. Olam means it always has been in the mind of God from forever unto forever. Forever doesn't just mean now on with the word olam. It means it always has been and always will be. And no one can change that. No one can stop the hand of God. Daniel 4.35 says, no one can stay his hand. Mecca. You cannot arrest the hand of God in doing what he wants to do. Satan has no power in this. 
<coughs> Satan can only do the will of God. If we can get that in our heads, everything that happens, we can say, I'll tell you what you'll do, though. You'll start saying, I've got to keep myself out of the path of people who like to fight. I've got to keep myself out of the position of where there is a controversy going on. I don't need that. You've got enough fight with your own flesh. That's what we're fighting. So when we do this, this is what we need to learn. We've got all these verses. God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times. Ancient times means before the world ever started. From ancient times, everything that's not yet done in our lives, whether it's good or bad, God is in charge. He is actually sovereign over the evil. He's, that's why he said, I make peace and create evil. I got this one paper, Does God Create Evil? I don't even know if I've got a copy of it here, but I've given it to most of you. And he absolutely creates evil. I've got about several hundred places where he says he does evil all through the Old Testament. When David numbered Israel in the 24th chapter of Second Samuel, David numbered Israel, and we find out over in First Chronicles how many was in David's army. There was about a million and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood, in David's army, and he was taking credit for that. And God is saying, you forgot, David, when all you had was, was uh, four to six hundred people, and I delivered you from Saul who was trying to kill you and he had thousands and he was coming after you and it didn't matter. That had nothing to do with anything. How many he had. And God says, just for that, David, he boasted about all the people in his... He, he numbered Israel in the 24th chapter of Second Samuel. How do you know he was boasting? In 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, he talks about all his mighty men, how fantastic fighters they were. Talked about his nephew, Abishai, and said he killed 300 men in battle. Poor Abishai was a bad dude. You do want to mess with him. He's always wanted to, Uncle David, I want to kill that guy for you. David said, uh, shut up, Abishai. He says, these sons of Zeruiah, that was his sister, Z-E-R-U-I-A-H. Zeruiah, they're too hard for me. Abishai and Joab, Joab's a murderer. He's the head of my army. What am I going to do? Well, he numbered them in the 23rd chapter. And God says, just for that in the 24th chapter, I'm going to send one of three judges on you, and I'm going to leave it up to you to pick it. You pick the one you want. You'll flee before your enemy three months. And if you'll notice, he talks about a sword, a famine, a pestilence. You'll go flee before your enemy three months, or we'll send a famine on the land, or I can send a pestilence upon you 
and it'll all come from me. Now, which one of these three judgments do you want? You pick it, David. How would you like to have that choice? David said, I will turn myself over to you, God. You are a merciful God. God sent the death angel into Israel. And the death angel killed 70,000 innocent people. And the death angel, it was probably Michael. Michael can kill so many people overnight. He killed 185,000 at one point. And the death angel goes to destroy, totally destroy Jerusalem. God says, stop. I have done enough evil to this land. God said he did the evil. Well, if God's doing everything in our lives to get our attention, I don't care what it is. I don't care. You say, I don't understand that. How could God be making my son sick or giving him cancer or them dying? Perhaps it was just to get your attention. So, what is the point of all this? You've said this so many times, Jim. The whole point of it is learning to rest in everything that's happening. Do you know I didn't really come to this position of resting till I was in my mid-60s? I preached predestination all my life. And I've never learned to rest in it like I'm resting now. In fact, the word Sabbath and rest have the basic same meaning. Sabbath means rest. It doesn't mean seventh. And when we rest in the things of God, S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H. That's the word Sabbath means rest. There's something you don't do on the Sabbath. You rest. There's a word in the Old Testament of what you could say you do on the Sabbath, but you, what you do on the Sabbath is nothing. <laughs> That's the truth. You don't do anything. This is why the seventh-day Sabbath is false. You don't go to a church and listen to some preacher preach on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, they had to stay at home in their place. That's over in the 16th chapter of Exodus. 16th chapter of Exodus. And they stayed at home, didn't go anywhere. Now, if you can come to this understanding, I've got something. What happened to the Sabbath in the New Testament? The Sabbath has to do with predestination. Because everything you're going through, it's going to cause you as you grow older to learn to rest. What is it? Milton, when he was alive, he died at 94, 95. Big, tall Milton sat on the back row. He's a black man from, from Panama. Came up here 50 years ago. Milton never worried about anything. Just, I'd say, Milton, you want a new Corvette? He'd say, no. Nah. You want a blonde and a new Corvette? No, don't want anything. He would just say, I want to go home to be with the Lord. If you can get old enough, you will learn to accept 
everything that happens. And if you listen to these messages, the true Sabbath has to do with rest. There's a word in the Old Testament, the word Sabbath in the Old Testament, Shabbat. Shabbat. In the New Testament is the word Sabbatismos or Sabbath. It's A-B-B-A-T-H. A-T-I-S, excuse me, A-T-I-S. M-O-S. And what you do on the Sabbath is rest. There's a word that speaks of the rest of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And that is what you do on the Sabbath is you nuach. N-U-W-A-C-H. Nuach. That would be equivalent to the word over here on the Sabbath over here. You kata. Pasis. This is what you do or what you don't do on the Sabbath. It means rest. Rest. We get the word Noah. Our Nuach comes from the word Noah. It is a form of the word Noah. Noah was the tenth from Adam. And Noah means actually to rest. Nuach. When Let me show you something here. I've got all kinds of words on this and where it's mentioned. But look over here in back to Job. Let's go to Job. Job, after his seven sons and three daughters had died, remember in the next chapter, in the second chapter, after Job's sons and daughters are dead, Satan comes back before God and says, skin for skin. A man will save, do anything to save his own skin. Now, Satan wasn't able to touch his body. So he said, if you'll turn him over to me and let me make him sick, he'll curse you. Well, God tells Job, you can, you can touch his body, but you can't touch his life. Do you understand me? Satan says, yes, sir. So he turns him over to Job. And God strikes, God strikes him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with some kind of boils. And it could kill him, except God's not going to let him die. And then in the 10th verse of the second chapter, or in the ninth verse, then said Job's wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. She didn't say curse Satan. She knew who did this. And Job said it to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not also receive evil? Then the Bible backs this up, the next verse repeats the same thing he said in verse 22 of chapter 1, and all this Job said not nor charged God foolishly means to ascribe something to God that he didn't do. And all this did not Job sin with his lips. The Bible itself says twice, Job t- 
tells the truth when he talks about me. Their death was my doing. It wasn't Satan's. He was nothing but an instrument in my hand. Now, look over here in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Job is saying, I am miserable. He's talking about the day he's born. He's talking about the night where he was born. Let darkness seize upon that night. Let them, verse 8, let them curse it, that curse the day, who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of twilight therefore be dark. Let it look, let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it, let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb. Would to God that my mother's womb hadn't borne me, nor hid sorrow from my eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why wasn't I born dead, Job said? I wouldn't have to mourn over my seven sons and three daughters dying. Why did, did the knees prevent me or while the breast that I should suck. For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. Nuak. I would have been in a permanent Sabbath. Now that shows you that babies don't go to hell when they die like some Calvinists say. I would have been at rest if I'd have died from my mother's womb. I'm trying to talk to you about the Sabbath. There's a spiritual Sabbath. Everything in the New Testament is the very image. Everything in the Old Testament is the shadow. The Sabbath is merely a shadow. Shadow is the word skia. It means a shade. A shade is a shadow. A shadow is a shade. When you go out in the sun at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're casting a shadow on the ground. Is the shadow the real thing? Or is that you? The real thing is the spiritual over here. What happened to the Sabbath over there? What happened to the, all of the rituals of the Sabbath? They had all these rituals. The Bible says concerning the Sabbath that the priests were over at the temple defiling the Sabbath and they were guiltless because they were working all day long offering all the offerings they had to offer, changing the showbread, the table of showbread, lighting the candles and doing all of the rituals of the of the all of the brazen altar washing themselves over here they weren't supposed to be doing anything like that in their homes yet they were not guilty because this was the command of God all of these were rituals or ordinances Now the scripture says in Colossians 2.14 Blotting out 
the handwriting of ordinances of ordinances every ordinance they had in the Old Testament had rituals with it the Sabbath the Passover Pentecost the Feast of Ingathering everything that was once shadows is now spiritual or the very image the real thing is spiritual blotting out the handwriting of ordinances the Bible says the ordinances were contrary to us they were against us they couldn't keep those rituals they never did the people didn't they were contrary to us took them out of the way nailing them to his cross there's two handwritings over here you can go to Deuteronomy the ninth chapter and I've got other other chapters but the Bible says that that they had well look let's just read that one more time Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 9 I keep trying to get to this spiritual Sabbath. I hope I can get to it today. There's so much around it. So much concerning it. Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter, verse 10. The Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Well, that sends a signal up, according to Luke, to the the 11th chapter and Luke the, well I'll tell you what let's do let's just compare them Luke 11 Luke 11 chapter written now these were written with the finger of God let me read one and I'll read the other Deuteronomy 9.10 The Lord delivered unto me two tables. This is written. This is one of the handwritings. Written with the finger of God. On them that was written according to the words which he, which the Lord spake with him in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. You also find that in Exodus 24.12 and Exodus 31 and 18. You find this finger of God writing these ordinances and then over here in Luke 11 verse 20 and Jesus is talking and if I with the finger of God cast out devils what does he do with his finger he writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts according to Second Second Corinthians the third chapter doesn't he one of these is blotted out it's not going to be the one on our hearts. Then the kingdom of God or Israel is coming to you. And I'm not going to go into the rest of this. It'll take me half a day to go, go the next three verses. Now, so what does he do with his finger? Then you go back over here to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. 
the third chapter, here's one of these is going to be blotted out. One of these rituals. Second Corinthians, the third chapter. Second Corinthians three and down here in verse 2 you are epistle written in our hearts by the finger of God known and read of men for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us written not with ink notice written not with ink but with the spirit over the finger of the living God, not in tables of stone any longer, but in fleshy tables of the heart. So it's going to be the one written in tables of stone. What does he mean? If you don't study something outside the Bible, extra biblical material, you're not going to understand this. You can look in McClinic and Strong and look under contracts, the C volume. Tell you under contracts, or you can look in the Mr. Lightfoot's commentary on Colossians and he'll tell you the same thing. When they wanted to do away with the contract, you always had to have two witnesses to every contract. Two to three witnesses. And they would act out the contract. It was a performance they would perform the contract. Anytime you see, anytime you see someone performing, you've got Ezekiel performing. What do you mean, Jim? Look over at the book of Ezekiel. They perform their contracts. In fact, I sold real estate for years, and you call executing a contract specific performance that is an official term in real estate you perform it when you get everybody on both sides of the contract to do the things they promised to do and then you close the house it was a performance that was in the ancient world they actually performed and God had Ezekiel here and Ezekiel look at Ezekiel alright Now, I may be on this several weeks getting through this thing on uh, in Ezekiel 4. This is the Lord telling Ezekiel to perform a contract against Israel. Ezekiel is in the captivity. He was taken into the captivity of, in the, it's believed in the second deportation in, in five 97 B.C. When Nebuchadnezzar came in to carry Israel captive. That was a peaceful deportation. And Ezekiel is over here in Babylon. And God is showing him visions of what he's going to do to Jerusalem in 586. Just about 11 years down the road. And he's showing what he's going to do. And he's performing a contract. But they did this in the New Testament. Jesus performed a contract when he said, This bread 
is my body. That was a contract. When he said is, he didn't say our word is. Our word is in the Greek would be E-I-N-A-I. That's not what he used. He used the word E-S-T-I-N. It means represents. He didn't mean that was his literal body. How many bodies are there? Ephesians 4 and 5. One. What is the body of Christ according to Colossians 1, 18 and 24? It's the church. He's saying, partake of my body, the church. That's what he said. Not He wasn't saying eat crackers and grape, grape juice. It was the Passover. You know how much that frustrates me that men can't even evaluate that? Now, look over here. And so God is telling Ezekiel, perform this contract. He's over here in Babylon. God is showing visions of what he's going to do 11 years down the road. He's, God's going to destroy Israel. And have Nebuchadnezzar going and level the place, level the town. Son of man, take thee a tile. This is four and one. Take some little pieces of clay that have been baked in an oven take a tile lead before thee and portray shall cock portray means to entrench or hack engrave and betray upon it the city even Jerusalem here's what I'm going to do to Jerusalem lay siege against it build a fort against it cast a mount against it he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar coming Set the camp also against it. Set battering rams against it round about you. It looks like he's playing in the dirt over there with a bunch of little blocks. He is portraying the judgment of God. It is a contract. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan. Get you a literal iron frying pan, something you would cook in. And set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. You're building the city with a bunch of clay blocks that have been baked. And set this iron against it. He's performing a contract by what he's going to do to Jerusalem. Take the iron pan and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. And set thy face against it. And it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. Thus shall be the sign to the house of Israel what I'm going to do to them. There's no backing out here. No praying. He told Ezekiel, don't you pray for this people. He told Jeremiah, pray not for this people. I won't hear your prayer. Jeremiah was a preacher of judgment. Ezekiel was a preacher of judgment. Ezekiel had already been carried away. Lie thou also upon thy left side. Lie down on the ground, right by these pieces of clay. Lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of days that thou shalt lie upon it. Thou shalt bear their iniquity, for I have laid upon thee the years of of Israel's sinful iniquity. 
where they'd go after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Moloch and all those sun and tree goddesses. That became Christmas in the church when Constantine brought it in the church. According to the number of days that thou shalt lie upon it, they shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of days, 390 days, shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side. Thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. I want you to lay down three hundred there three hundred and ninety days on one side and then on the other side forty days. It was forty years was included in the sum of three hundred and ninety. Jeremiah prophesied for forty years from the third year of Josiah to the sacking of the city of Jerusalem. So these are, God is having Ezekiel perform a contract. And then he, he gives two witnesses to the contract in chapter 5. And thou son of man, take thee a sharp knife. This is Ezekiel 5 and 1. Take thee a barber's razor and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard, and then take thee balances to weigh, and divide the hair, and thou shalt burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city. He's performing another contract. When the days of the siege are fulfilled, (coughs) thou shalt take a third part, and smite about it with a knife, and a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. Thou shalt also take, therefore, a few in number, and bind them in thy skirts. Then take of them again, and cast them into the midst of the fire, and burn them in the fire, for therefore shall the fire come forth into the house of Israel. That was a contract. So they had to have two witnesses to the contract. You find that in Numbers, the 35th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter. Everything that was connected to the Passover, Pentecost, and in gathering, Passover is now spiritual. Pentecost is spiritual. The day of ingathering is spiritual. The day of atonement was, was coupled with the day. That day of atonement is spiritual. The day of atonement, atonement has the basic same meaning as baptize. Same meaning. Atonement means, is the word kafar. Kafar is the word atonement. In fact, atonement pitch and baptize have basically the same meaning. How that don't that look crazy if you've just never heard this before? Doesn't make any sense, does it? That's why you can't trust the English Bible. You gotta go back to the original text. Atonement is the word kafar. 
on the day of atonement they covered the ark of the covenant the high priest came in and sprinkled the ark of the covenant with the blood of the goat offered on that brazen altar you'll find that you'll find the the day of atonement in Leviticus the 16th chapter and then pitch when the Lord told Noah pitch the ark within and without with pitch so atonement kafar they cover with the blood with the stain or the dye pitch the first word is kafar it's the same exact word as atonement same exact word baptize the second word pitch is kofur it means to stain or to die pitch there's been much speculation on it most of the scholars say pitch means some say it came out of a geyser out of the ground but it was a red stained substance it was red the pitch was to caulk the boat so they wouldn't sink that's what it's for some said it came out of a tree whatever it kept as eight souls were saved through water it says by water in the King James Bible that's not the word the word is dia means through the water wasn't the baptism the pitch the ark was a baptism it wasn't that I can't believe preachers have never bothered to even look into this especially scholarly professors in seminaries pitch the ark with it out with pitch so they soaked the inside and the outside so the so the ark wouldn't sink that was what it's for baptize comes from baptizo means to cover this is even in your concordance means to cover and it will say see babto and that means when you look that up it says to stain or to die and this word here baptism with babto was a household term that women used to stain and dye clothes household so and all of this goes together so everything all the rituals that were over here connected to Passover Pentecost and the day of end gathering which was the same thing as the feast of huts or the feast of tabernacles and the tenth day of the seventh month was in there with that that was the day of atonement all the rituals were blotted out now our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ he's washed us from our sins in his own blood that's true baptism it's a death a blood baptism was a death I didn't make that up you can take McClinic and Strong and look up blood and at the very end of it it will tell you that that's what they called a death in the first century I love teaching on atonement and baptize and pitch now 
So blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When they did away with the contract that we've been talking about, they had to have the agreements of the original two contracting parties, and they had to have at least the two witnesses present. And they would go out in public, say, you want to invalidate this contract? They'd say, yes. So they would take a nail, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And they would drive a nail through it, just like we will notarize a piece of paper. Then we crease it with indentions, and they just drove the nail through it, and that held up in their courts of law. So there's no longer any rituals like there was over here. What does that have to do with Sabbath? The point is, we have to learn to accept everything that God is doing in our lives. That causes us to bow to Him, and all of this, along with anything else that means death to self, that would be a daily cross, daily cross, that dies to self, doesn't it? Doesn't it crucify self? That would be drinking a cup. When Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, he didn't say the word is. He said represents, esteem. Our word is is a form of the verb to be. All the being verbs, be, is, am, or was, were, being, been, have, as, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. All of those are being verbs. They're forms of the verb to be, to exist. You can't will something unless you exist. But you can't will anything outside the will of God. You can only go out there and sin is all you can do. Now, what are you talking about in all this, Jim? All the rituals are done away. All the rituals of the Sabbath are done away with. Let me give you some of the rituals of the Sabbath again. I've got some copies of this. I need to bring them up here and pass them out. On the Sabbath, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go to church and drive a car. Now, these Seventh-day people, they're really breaking the Sabbath. I've got to read this one verse if I don't read anything else. Exodus 16. Exodus 16. Now, I don't know if this will make Seventh-day people angry. We worship on the first day of the week. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He rose on Sunday. That was called the Lord's Day in the ancient world among the believers. That's why we meet there. He met with the apostles on the day that he rose the dead, he went up into northern Galilee, and they were there in an enclosed house, and he walked through the wall or appeared somehow through the wall. And they worshipped the Lord there, and he gave them the scriptures. That's why we worship them. People say, well, the Catholic Church changed the Sabbath to Sunday. They did not. That was a rumor started by Ellen G. White. She started the, well, she didn't start the Seventh-day Adventist. She 
kept it going after it was started. Where did the Seventh-day Adventists come from? The same place the Jehovah's Witnesses come from. A man named Russell. They were called Russellites. And this is where it come from, whether you like it or not. This is history, not something I made up. When the Russellites in 1843, I believe it was 1842, this man named Russell said, the Lord's going to come in 1842. Well, since the Lord didn't come, he said, my my calculations were off. I'm going to redo them. He said it'll be 1843. Of course, needless to say, Jesus didn't come back that year either. So he dissolved his following, and two systems came out of that. Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. That's why they both believe in worshiping on Saturday. And that's just not true. We worship on the... And I'm not going to go through it again. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. I can go into that. I'm not going to, I've gone through that so many times. He rose from the dead. He was crucified on Sabbath Eve. Parascuain. P-A-R-A. A S K E U N E. The eight is feminine gender. They had only one day of the week that they called the mother of the Sabbath. That was Friday. He was crucified on Friday. But they measured. They said a part was the whole. That's synecdo, K-S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. That's a part being the whole. So if he's crucified on Friday and they get him in the grave <coughs> somewhere around, let's say, 5 o'clock, well, sundown was when their day began, sundown. So they said you had to count from 6 o'clock or sundown back to Thursday at 6 o'clock. Then they had to count 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock. They arose Sunday morning, so a part of the part of the day was the whole. That's called synecdoche, and that's the truth. That's the way the Jews counted things, whether you like that or not. Three days and three nights means he was in there. They counted this whole day. This was the only day he was fully in there on our calculations but he rose Sunday morning that's why we worship on Sunday and I can go into that and document that better what is it that was blotted out I've given this to you before well here's the one thing that was blotted out in the 16th chapter of Exodus verse 29 see for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day bread of the two days. Abide ye every man in his place or in his house that no man go out of his place on the Sabbath day. You can't go anywhere. They were working over there at the temple violating the Sabbath and they were guiltless and you're laying here at home 
and they had to do three things on Friday before sundown, before Sabbath started. They had the Ubrick. E-U-B-U-I-C. Okay. Ubrick. The Ubrick was three items. They had to pay their tithe, go to the priest, pay the tithe before sundown. They had to prepare their food. You couldn't, and they had to light a candle because you couldn't light any fires on the Sabbath. If you drive your car on Saturday, you're breaking the Sabbath because you got, if you got a four cylinder, all those cylinders are firing and you're making fire and you couldn't do any work. That steering would be work. They couldn't ride a donkey. They couldn't do nothing on the Sabbath. Bible says they had to stay in their place. If you worked, you died. That's Exodus thirty-one fourteen. In Exodus thirty-five two and three, they had to put the showbread out on the Sabbath, but you had to have a temple, a Jewish temple, and you had to have some priests, sons of Aaron. We ain't got any of them. We do have a high priest, Melchizedek, over this temple of God, and that has to take us over into the fourth chapter of Revelation. There was a young man picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and they killed him in the 15th chapter of Numbers. No pleasure on the Sabbath. You can't watch ball games. You can't watch college football, no basketball, nothing. You can't go outside and play. You can't carry any burdens on the Sabbath. If you feel like you've got to move something in your house, a piece of furniture, you can't do that. So all of these rituals were blotted out. And I can't go through all this. Now, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me go over here. How do we how do we celebrate the Sabbath now? What day is the Sabbath now? The Sabbath now, well let me ask you this. What day we do we rest? and the things of God. What day would that be? Sunday. Huh? Sunday. That'd be what? Sunday. Why? That's the day that we just pick it to do. Yeah, what did we, we drive into church and we're going out to eat. What day do you rest oh, we don't. in all the things that God is doing? What day do you rest and you believe everything that's going on is a God? Now, what day do you re- are you supposed to rest? Saturday. Huh? Saturday, Saturday. What? Saturday. We don't. What day do we believe that God has preordained everything in our lives? Every day. Every day. Oh, every day? Oh, you got me. Oh. <laughs> every day. We do that every day. The Bible says that the people in the wilderness could not enter into God's Sabbath. He actually says to their anaposis, to their settling down. When I put that on the board a while ago, 
in the New Testament, you have the word Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H, or Sabbathion, S-A-B-B-A-T-I-S-M-O-S, Sabbathismos, and then you have the word Kata. This is what you do on the Sabbath. Nothing. Karapasis. Pasis, we get our word pause. It means to cease. Kata means down. It means to settle down. And God says, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, because of their rebellion in the wilderness, particularly the young men of military age, God told them he wanted them to go into the land. I got that in the wrong place. If this is the Sinai Peninsula, and this is the Sea of, that's the uh, Red Sea, and this is Egypt over here, and then you've got the Delta land, and then the Nile River coming down here. When they were in the wilderness, God told them to come into this land. He told the military men from 20 years old and upward, that was, I called it draft age. You couldn't serve in the army of Israel till you were 20. And then I'll go into David. David didn't serve in the army because he wasn't 20 yet, but he wasn't a skinny little boy. Like you picture him, he's this skinny little kid and he's going to go out against Goliath swinging a sling. No, no. <laughs> That's not what he was. He's probably about 17 or 18 years old. He was deadly with a sling, and he knew he was. That's why when Saul said to him, we've got this giant out here, he's challenging all the armies of Israel, David said, I'll go fight him. He won't even get close to me. I can kill with this sling. He said, I've got a club here I killed a bear with. I killed a lion with it. Probably not a jungle lion, probably something like a cougar. He said, I took this and beat his brains out with it. I can reach him. I can hit a hair's breadth at 50 yards with this sling. You think I can't hit him between the eye? David knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't a little careless little skinny boy going... I hope I hit something with this. <laughs> That's not what he was. The Bible says he ran toward Goliath with all his might. As fast as he could go, said, I'm going to bring you down. You're dead. All right. How much time do you have, Mike? 18. I'm going to try to get to some of this. Let's go over here to Hebrews the third chapter. It's going to take some time to get through this Sabbath thing. I'm just going to give you what the Bible says about it. Then I'm going to go back and cover the chapter. I can't get through it all today. It's just too much. 
I have to even build it up before I can even approach it. The Sabbath is because of our belief. Now he says here in we enter into resting in the things of God. He says here that the children of Israel provoked God in the wilderness. I'm going to go back to that in the 13th and 14th chapters of Numbers where they provoke God. He says here in Hebrews the third chapter you start here in verse in verse 8 harden not your hearts as in the provocation Israel provoked God because they said you brought us out here to die he looked at Moses and Aaron and said you brought us out here to die and we need to kill you we had plenty of leeks and cucumbers and melons in Egypt now I don't know why they thought that was great food but it was to them we had plenty to eat in Egypt. We're going to get us a leader and take us back to Egypt. And God tells Moses, I'm just going to kill all these people for this and I'll call somebody else. God provoked Moses to pray the prayer he prayed. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. Moses said, Lord, you don't want to kill these people. All these pagans out here will say, you couldn't lead them through Egypt. God says, I won't kill them. Even if Moses prayed, it was God that had him pray that prayer. So because they provoke God, he says, you're not going to enter into my rest. Let's read on here. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Why 40 years? We're going to see that in Numbers, the 14th chapter. Numbers 14. What? Are we in Hebrews? Yes, we are. Number 14. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're in Hebrews. We're talking about Numbers 14 in Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews is about Hebrews. It's about Jews, and we're spiritual Jews. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation when Israel provoked me in the wilderness. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years. God tells them to go into the land of Anak, which we call the, the Gaza Strip, and it was the land of the Philistines in the ancient world. He tells them to go into there and spy out the land, and we'll see that as we read the 13th chapter of Numbers. Let me see here. Well, that's not a big enough picture. Here's Here's a picture of, here's the Red Sea. Here is the Gaza Strip here. So, when they're headed out into the wilderness, they get up here. Oh, excuse me. Here's the, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Let me see if I got a bigger picture of that. The wilderness. Maybe this will help. They're in the wilderness. They come up. They leave Sinai. They leave Sinai in Numbers 10. And they come to Sinai in Exodus 18. So Exodus, Leviticus, and up to Numbers 10. They leave Sinai 
where Moses had received all the law, and they come up to this place called Kadesh, or Kadesh Barnea. God tells them, he tells the military men, go in and spy out. Spy out on the southwestern border of Israel is a place called the land of Anak. And go into Anak, girl, down here in Kadesh, or Kadesh Barnea. Go in and spy out that land. It goes all the way down to the bottom of Israel. Spy out that land. They find giants in the land. They say, we cannot conquer these giants. They're too big for us. Yet God had delivered them out of the Red Sea just a couple of months before that and destroyed the largest army in the world, which was Pharaoh's army. And they... It was their unbelief. The reason they provoked God, unbelief. The word in the Greek would be A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis. Pistis is the word faith. Pistis is the word faith. Placing the alpha primitive, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, in front of pistis means no faith. That's what the Bible says they didn't have when they're in the wilderness. And he said, they will not enter into my rest, into my nuach. That is the, that's the word that means rest. We get comes to the word Noah. And whenever they were having a rest period for their Sabbath, S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H, when they're having this new walk, the rest of their Sabbath, he said they're not going to enter into... God called the final rest, final rest, he called that their Sabbath. But he said they could not enter into my Sabbatismos in Hebrews. Sabbatismos, which is the word Sabbath, because of their unbelief when they're in the wilderness. So unbelief is what keeps you from entering into the rest of God. Into your new walk or into your catapultus, you're settling down. Now, let's continue reading this. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, talking about Numbers 13, 14, and other places where they provoke God in the wilderness, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my hodos, have not known my ways, when you see the word way in the Old Testament, it's the word direct. We get our word direction from that. Direct, D-E-R-E-K. And that would be the Old Testament translation for the word hodos. And hodos is the narrow way. So they didn't know my narrow way in the Old Testament. Now let's keep reading. So I swear in my wrath. That is a terrible translation. Does not say that in the in the Greek. Whew. It says the translators, this half the translators of the New Testament 
of the King James Bible were Roman Catholics. They translated this wrong. How do you know? Take my interlinear Bible over here. Look this up. So says, so, so I swear in Tay or or G Ada the or gay feminine feminine gender it's not God's wrath it's the wrath of the people when they said let's kill Moses and Aaron let's destroy them let's go back to Egypt let's get us a leader it wasn't that just how in the world can you come up with taking a definite article the and change it into my possessive pronoun my in the English they did it I'll tell you why they did it I know why they did it because it says te or gay mu mu means of me the or gay of man was of God or gay is the anger and wrath of covetousness and why would it be feminine because Babylon mothered all idolatry and she was founded on self let us make us a name so it was the orgay of the people it was their rage they wanted to kill Moses and, and Aaron they were mad at God they provoked God and the ones that provoked him couldn't enter into God's Sabbath that's what it goes on to say so I swear in the wrath I always like to take about a dozen verses the Bible says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God was placed upon men it's I go through all these verses that see people don't like the idea that man's rage how did he get this orgone man he put us in corrupt human flesh that's why and the flesh was corrupt take heed brethren lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief apistus that's the unbelief no faith they didn't have any faith when he said go in and conquer that land they're too big for us departing from the living God but exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitful of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, I, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses provoked God. Some of them were saved. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And they said, we can't go in and conquer those people. When God had destroyed the greatest army in the world... And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his cataposis? Settling down. Referring to the promised land. Jim, how do you know that's talking about the Sabbath? The next chapter.
God refers to the Cotopaxis as his Sabbath. When we believe God can conquer all of our enemies and we're in the wilderness of this world, it doesn't matter what we come up against. If we're up against a Kadesh Barnea, if we are up against a Pharaoh, once you begin to believe that God is doing everything, as an old man, 81 years old, my life has calmed down once I've really believed that. I'm so calm every day. I never worry about anything. I don't believe in it. I did when I was 60. <laughs> I did when I was 55. I'd fight people here at the ministry. I won't fight anybody. You want to fight me? You'll be fighting the air because I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not even the person that I'm accused of being. I'm just... People say... I, one guy said, I saw the camera move back towards your people. And they look like ordinary people. We are ordinary. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're just common. I'm a common, simple, everyday man. I don't, I get up every day, I take a shower, I shave, I go to the bank, I go to the post office and see if we have any mail from people from around the country, around the world. And then I go to the bank, deposit any monies we get in. And then I go by the grocery store, and I call Mary said, do you need anything? Well, I need some of this and that. I said, well, let me write it down. So I go in the store down at Publix or Kroger's, and I go home, and she's got supper fixed. And I sit down and eat, study a little go to bed and do the same thing all over every day. I'm a pretty boring guy. I'm not some devious guy with a mustache like Snidely Whiplash going, ha ha, I'm going to get you, my sweetie. It's ridiculous the color that people paint me. They paint me as a evil guy. I'm just an ordinary guy. You're right, I'm ordinary. I'm just a man that has studied my brains. Why I studied as much as I did, only God knows he's the one that put me in that frame of mind. I've been in a frame of mind to read everything I can get a hold of ever since I was very small. If I couldn't read anything, if we didn't have books in our house, I'd read the newspaper and every magazine I'd get a hold of. I always want to read. I wanted information. That's really all you have to do to learn you have to be somewhat analytical and be very objective and don't pay any attention to your mother or father who taught you something if they're off base say mom I've said this before if your mother says go to the store and get me a uh, get me some beer say no mom I can't do that that's honoring your mother honor TMA means to place a value upon so I can't do that Now, let's go on and read the rest of this. To whom swear he that they could not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. They couldn't enter into God's Sabbath. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Apistus. How do you know that's the Sabbath? He tells you in the next chapter. He says down here in verse... 
verse 9 of chapter 4. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. He's talking about a rest that he's been, the caught apostles he's been talking about here. The only thing is, that word rest is sabbatismos. It's the word Sabbath. So he's equating the catapostas, the settling down in the land of Israel with the Sabbath. Where you can rest against all your enemies. You and I can rest because of belief. That God's going to conquer every enemy if it's just self that we run across. If God can teach us what I talked about in the first part of this message that that God is doing everything. When you believe that God is doing everything in your life, you begin to be involved in the true Sabbath of rest every day. And that's an everyday thing. Do I have any time left, Mike? No. Huh? No. I'm out of time. I'll come back next week. I'll try to get on into that the book of numbers numbers is one of the most interesting books there is in the bible because numbers is talking about when israel leaves when they get down to the mount where moses gets the law it's talking about the 40 years and they're in the wilderness everything that's going on in the wilderness when you leave numbers you get to deuteronomy and they're up here just about to cross the Jordan River and go into the land. Deuteronomy is, and by the time you get to Deuteronomy, it's killed off everybody in the in Israel from 20 years old and upward. That's what he said he'd do. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word, Lord. It's so it's so rich and full of understanding. Lord, help us to continue to dissect and bisect everything and be analytical about your word because you are truly the great mathematician thank you for everything you do the good and the bad because it's all for our good you said all things work together for good to those of us that love you and are are the called according to your purpose thank you for everything fight our battles we're not going to fight anymore Teach these people that write to us. We're not going to fight them. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I hope I'm getting this thing of the Sabbath over. It's got a lot more to it. But it has to do with believing God. If we can really believe... I know everybody here believes that predestination is true, but... Can you really get a hold of the fact when something terrible happens to you, that's also the will of God? That's hard, isn't it?